We are continuing a sermon series we started last week called Joseph. And um, it really came from the idea, we were doing a character series a few series back and I got to Joseph and I didn't want to just spend one week on him because he's got so many. His story is an incredible book in the Bible and we can learn a lot from his story. His story is a lot of ways our story. And last week we picked off with number one, which I highly encourage you to go back and check us out. We're on YouTube and uh, Spotify and Apple Podcasts and Google Pod, we're everywhere. So just Google Rise Church TX. You can go back and watch our sermons. But last week, it was amazing. We were able to walk through Joseph's initial dream. And I don't know if you've ever had this before, but sometimes um, you'll feel like you hear something from God or you'll hear like a, a direction or a voice or a like just an unction even. You're like, I think God's leading me this way. And oftentimes we don't know how to decipher whether it's God or bad pizza the night before, right? Or we're offended by somebody or we're mad about something or whatever. We don't know how to determine if it's God. And so last week I gave us four questions to kind of get an idea of what that looks like. Kind of get an idea of what, if it could be God, what that might look like from a dream standpoint. Today though, we're gonna continue and, and we're gonna pick it up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 17, because um, what happens then after he tells his brother his dream. So just recap, Joseph has a dream. And then basically as a dream in a metaphor sense that he's gonna be the ruler of everybody. He tells his brothers, as you could probably imagine, his brothers don't care for it very much. On top of that, his dad buys him a coat of many colors, which is kind of like buying your kid a Ferrari now. And his other brothers are like, where's my Ferrari? And so they get mad and get frustrated and they get upset at his dream and they get to the point where they're wanting to kill him. So they go off and then his dad sends him to go find his brothers in the fields. And this is where we kind of pick it up in Genesis chapter 37, verse 17. If you're with me, say, okay. Let me say, I got you. All right, Genesis chapter 37, it says this. It says, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. And now when they saw him afar off, even before he came near them, they conspired against him to kill him. That's pretty messed up. Cause I mean, I've been mad at my sister before I've seen my kids be mad at their brothers, but if you're so mad, he's trying to kill them. That's, that's a level, that's a level. Then he said to them, then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Come therefore, let us now kill him and cast him into some pit and we should say some wild beast devoured him. And we should see what has become of his dream. But verse 21 says, but Reuben heard it. So another brother, Reuben heard it and he delivered him out of their hands. He actually saved him and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to him, shed no blood, but just throw him in the pit in the wilderness and do not lay a hand on him that he might deliver him out of their hands and bring him back to his father. And so it came to pass when Joseph had come to his brothers and they had stripped Joseph of his tunic, the tunic of many colors that was on him. And they took him and cast him into a pit and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. So let's just summarize. Joseph has an amazing dream. He's with an amazing family, has some brothers, has an amazing dream, shares his dream with his brothers. Brothers get mad. Dad buys him a coat. Coat and brother goes out to his brothers. Brothers want to kill him. Other brother says, nah, throw him in a pit. And now Joseph is in a hole. You would think like, man, I thought God, like you've ever had like something where you're like, God, I thought you told me we were going to be here. You said I'm about to be a king and now I'm in a pit and about to die. Has anybody had that 180 happen in your life other than me? Like where you felt like you heard, you knew what was going to happen. You saw it on the horizon and then all of a sudden you're in a, you're in a pit. You're in a pit. If that's you, 
or if that's ever been you, or I would dare to say, if it's gonna be you in one day, this is the sermon for you. If you're taking notes, the title of my message today is The Pit Test, The Pit Test. That's the title of my message. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you, God, today. You are a good God. You're amazing. We love you. We're here about you. This is your church. These are your people. This is your house. And I pray because it's your house, you have your way. Holy Spirit, you move in the ways that you want to. I prepared a message and notes and I put some words on a paper, but they mean nothing without the power of the Holy Spirit. They mean nothing without your anointing. I pray that people would walk out of here with impartation, with transformation, with a true sense of who you are and what to do when we're in a pit. In Jesus' name. Everybody said? Amen. 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 How many of you uh, in here would say you have a sibling? You have siblings. Anybody raise your hand if you have siblings. You know what? It's different when you have a sibling. You meet people who are like one child families. You know, like they're the only child. They're different. They don't get it. Like they don't get what it's like to have to share all the time. Right? Like when you're an only child, you got to share when you're with your friends. But when you're a, when you got brothers and sisters, you got to share all the time. And parents, you know what that's like because you have to make your kids share all the time. In fact, you have to talk to them about it. You got to keep them from fighting. It's sibling life is a complicated life. I have a sister. She's younger than I am because I'm the oldest. You're welcome. And uh, I'm about one year older than she is. And I love my sister now, but I didn't care for her very much growing up, to be honest. I could have taken her or leave her. It didn't much matter to me, honestly, if she was around or if she wasn't around. In fact, it was better when she wasn't around. And I'll give you a reason why. I was a teenager. Started to become about 15, 16, you know, seeing the ladies. Started to really get into my own, you know. Started working out, doing my hair right, getting my shoes right. I had a bunch of friends. So I, what I wanted to do is I want to throw a party. So I said, Friday night, we're throwing a party. Asked my parents. They said, yeah, no problem. I said, all right. So we put a party together. Get all these kids together, all my friends together. And what I wanted to do, my, my, what my, my goal was, my plan, was to have the girl I liked show up at this party. Because I didn't have the guts to ask her out because I didn't think she would say yes. But I thought if I could get her around, we would do like a group date, but she didn't know she was in the group date. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so had the party, invited the girl. Girl says yes. It's on like Donkey Kong. Friday comes. I'm starting to like get ready. So I got my shoes right. I got my, I got my outfit right, my fit. Get my hair done. My, my sister the whole time while I'm getting ready. I'm getting ready all day. All day I'm getting ready. I'm taking a shower. I'm brushing my teeth like eight times. It's awesome. I'm going to, so fresh and so clean, it's going to be great. Getting ready. My sister the whole time is making fun of me. She's like, why are you doing that? And I said, because we're having a party tonight. She goes, you never do that for a party. Is there a girl coming? And I said, well, yeah, there's a girl coming, but it's not that big of a deal. We're just friends. She goes, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. You know how 15-year-old girls are. You all know how you are. And so anyway, so... She was trying to give me the business, and I'm like, all right, that's fine. So I'm sitting there. I'm doing my hair. I'm doing everything like that. All friends come over, and uh, it's going great. Music's pumping. Food is out. There's mingling in the air. There's vibe, y'all. We're looking good. So I walk out of my room just fresh, fresh, right? Walk out. Got my new shoes on. I had like a dope shirt, had some shorts, and so I'm like, yeah. So I walk out, and I do the customary 
initial say hi to everybody, right? Let everybody know what's going to go on because it's my house. Well, it's not my house, my parents' house, but it's my house, and I'm going to tell everybody what's going on. So I walk out, kitchen's out there, stand in the kitchen with everybody, and it's like an open concept. So, you know, the living room and dining room and everything's open. And so I'm right here. I'm like, hey, guys, just want to let everybody know, man, I'm so glad you're here and love you, and we're going to have a fun time. In the middle of my speech, I could feel someone right. And before I know it, a few seconds later, I felt a tug on my shorts. I'm like, what's this tug on my shorts? And everything moved in slow motion at this point. I had stepped outside of my body and witnessed what was actually happening. As I looked down, my shorts were being pulled off of my body down to my ankles. And I didn't realize what was going on until it had already happened. And I turned around only to see my little sister run off laughing (laughs) down the hallway. So here I am standing in the middle of the kitchen with my pants at my feet. The good old de-pantsed moment happened. You would think that'd be pretty bad. That'd be pretty bad. Everybody say bad. Well, not only did I realize that my pants were down, I looked down and perceived to see that not only did my pants come down, but my underwear went with it. As you can probably imagine, everything was out there. It was all out there, hoodly doodly and everything, just all, just on display, nether region, uncut, just full gone, just. And you don't do anything in that moment, but pull up as fast as you can and get out. So I ran. My sister disappeared. I didn't even know where she was. And I remember thinking, that's a bad day. That was a bad moment. I don't think I ever really recovered. I'm not sure I know any of those friends, to be quite honest with you anymore. Once that happens and you see all that, it's not much you can go. Your relationship pretty much stops right there. Hey, man, sounds like this is it. It was a good run, right? But I was thinking, because I've had some bad days in my life. And although that's a silly bad day, you've probably had some bad days. You've probably had some moments where things didn't quite work out the way that you had thought. You had something pictured in your mind. You know, I had this party in my mind, like thinking it's going to be hopping. I'm going to get a girl because I'm lonely. (laughs) And I heard that when you're lonely, girls fix everything. Like when you're a teenager, that's just how it is. And I ended up more lonely than I was before. You know, because, well, because it was out there, you know? (laughs) I think that, like, uh, what's tough about life is that you could have just multiple bad days. Seems like they just never stop, you know? You know what's funny, too? Pastors sometimes make it harder because I think we unintentionally do this, and maybe some people do it intentionally, but I think sometimes we can sell the life of Christianity as one with no bad days. I liken my bad days to pit moments. Like I'm like, when Joseph fell in the pit, I'm like, I get it. I get that. So you said something to somebody who you thought would have your back and they actually tried to kill you. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that story? Like you, you get hugged by your best friend with a, with a knife. 
I'm like, I get that. I get bad days because it's like life. But, but like sometimes pastors will tell you, if you just get saved, like you will always have a good day. Like nothing bad is ever going to happen to you. Don't worry. Just say yes to Jesus and blue skies and green grass. And what happens is, is you get, then you get saved and then you get outside and it's dark skies and yellow grass because the sun seems to nothing but live in San Antonio, Texas and thrive out here. And I don't understand what I signed up for. 110 degree weather was not what I signed up for when I moved here. Anybody... Sorry, I got to get off my soapbox. That was, had nothing to do with the Bible. So anyway, back to what I was saying. When you get saved, life doesn't seem to just work out all the time. You do continue to have pit moments. And then you don't know what to do with them, and then you start to question God like I question God. I mean, you, some of us are going through some real pit times right now. Like you've had a friend betray you, and you're in the pit right now. Some of us in here, we're, we're, we, we just lost a career or you lost a job and you don't know what you're going to do for money. You don't know what you're going to do for retirement. You don't know what you're going to do because you just spent 20 years at a place that just kicked, you know, kicked you to the curb. Some of you just, you, you, you have an unexpected health emergency. Come on. Isn't it amazing how some, it would seem like life could be going so good and then all of a sudden you get that one diagnosis from the doctor, that one moment where you feel like you're, you thought your health was good and now you've been struggling and struggling and struggling with your health and you're in a pit and you don't know what to do. You love Jesus. You love your friends. You love your family. You love the church. You love the Bible, but you're confused because the Bible seems to set up this idea in your mind that if you get to be a Christian, you shouldn't have these moments. Maybe your marriage is on the rocks. I mean, if we're honest in here, probably half the marriages right now in this place are struggling. If we were honest, you don't connect, something's wrong, you're not, you fight all the time. I mean, every statistic in the world will tell you that. And you're like, God, I'm in a pit. He don't get it. She don't get it. I thought it would be different. But the more I read the Bible, and the more I hear from Jesus, the more I realize pits are a part of life, especially the Christian life. John chapter 16, this is Jesus saying, I've told you all this so you may have peace in me. You got to have peace in me, not, not from me and not away from me. You got to have peace in me. You got you to be inside of my life. Here on earth, here's why. You'll have trials. You're going to have sorrows. You're gonna, something bad's going to happen. You're going to get hit with a left cross and didn't even see it coming. And oftentimes, it's from the people you love the most. And then what we do, human nature, we say, why? Anybody ever, ever do that when something bad happens? Anybody like me? I'm, real, I'm notorious for this. I just, um, I just got done with food poisoning. Like Friday, okay? I was confused. I was worried if I was going to be up here on the sun. I was like, well, Pastor Jason's going to have to preach or something. Because when you have food poisoning, has anybody had food poisoning recently, by any chance? Recently? Okay, recently. Um, you make friends with the toilet really, really well in that time. You just hug it. Just, I love you. I love you. And you just lay in the bathroom. And you sleep there. You just give me a pillow. I remember my wife came in and checked on me. She goes, honey, are you okay? I said, no, I'm not okay. 
I'm a little dramatic. So I'm dying in here. And I say stuff like, maybe you're like me. You say, you say this. You, when something bad happens to you, why me? Why, God? Why? I mean, and then I like bargain with him a little bit because I'm like a pastor. I'm like, I thought you were supposed to protect me. I work for you. Like, I can see you maybe you don't want to protect, like, the, the, you know, the kind of Christians or something, but I'm supposed to be like a professional Christian here. <laughs> but why questions never get answered? Have you ever noticed? I just never get the answer to the why question. The why am I sick? Now, God never opens up the heavens, you know, from the toilet. Well, here's what it is, Aaron. <laughs> you wouldn't have done this and that. He never answers those questions. Better questions to ask when you're in a pit is what? It's not why, it's what. God, what do I do when I'm in a pit? And I, I know I'm making light of them, but, but some of you in here are in real bad areas, in a real bad place. And, and you need to know this. God has something for you today. He has something for you to hear, not just to hear to feel good in a sermon so you can feel like you get your endorphins going and whatever. I'm talking about real life change. This could really, really help people if you take... If you just take note, just, I'm asking you, if you can, in the next, we only have a few minutes left, just lock in with me. I want to I help you learn what to do when you're in those moments. What do, what do you do when you're in a pit? I'm going to give you three things, if you're taking notes, three things to do when you fall into a pit, when you fall into a pit. Three things that I think would be helpful. This is not what Pastor Aaron does. This is what I, I think the Lord would have us do based on the Bible. Number one, three things. Number one is to have a positive pit perspective. Now, listen, I, I know what you heard, and this is not what that is. I know what you heard was like some self-help, like just be positive about it and pretend like it's not there and like Tony Robbins this thing and say yes, 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 yes all the time. Like that's not what I said. When you're in a pit, it is the easiest thing in the world to see it in a negative light. But how we see it determines how we act in it. And how we act in it determines whether or not we get out of it or whether or not we get out of it and come back into it. Come on. So you got to see it right. I find it interesting. The Bible doesn't describe the pit. You notice that? He doesn't tell us. The Bible doesn't tell us what it looked like. It doesn't tell us what the walls look like. It doesn't tell us how it smelled. It doesn't tell us whether it was dark or whether it was light or whether there was an animal in it. The Bible doesn't say anything about the pit. And I was asking God, I was like, God, why don't you at least tell us what the pit looked like? Give us some description. Because if you ever looked at the Bible, it's pretty descriptive in some areas. But I read the Bible and I'm like, why don't you tell us what it is? And I felt like God said, because your pit is not Joseph's pit. And my pit is not your pit. And your pit's not her pit. And her pit is not his pit. And we all struggle with something. And when you're in that place, if you don't see it right, it matters. It's not how you see, it's not how the pit looked. It's how you looked at the pit. That's the difference. It's not how the pit looked how you looked at the pit. How did you see what you were in? Because your perspective on what you're in determines the length that you're in it, determines your experience in it, determines whether or not you get out of it, determines whether you get back into it. And you can't control whether or not you got in it, but you can pretty sure control 
how you see it. What's interesting is you look at Joseph's story. Now, if you're looking for, I'm just, I've never seen this before. Because most pastors will preach, Joseph got in the pit and he was saved from the hand of the enemy. Let me just tell you, the pit wasn't the thing that was the enemy's original intent. You know that. Let's read it. Let's read it again. And Reuben said, verse 22, and Reuben said to them, don't kill him. Instead, just throw him in the pit. And don't even touch him. Why? Here's why. So that then Reuben can go back and save him and bring him back to his dad. The Bible shows us that the whole reason for the pit in the first place was actually better than what the enemy originally had planned. Do you all see it? They wanted to kill him. Reuben said, let's not kill him. Let's put him in a pit. And you know what? Joseph probably saw his pit as like messed up. But the truth of the matter is, the pit was his salvation. If the enemy would have had his way, he would have died. Y'all see it. And oftentimes when we get in our pits, we think this is the, the enemy won. He finally got me. This was his plan all along. I guess I'm just not going to make it. I guess my marriage is just going to be the way that it is. I guess my money is just the way that it is. I guess my career is just the way that it is. I guess my health is just the way that it is. I guess Satan finally got me. He finally went. I mean, I think I'm running from Satan a lot sometimes. I'm like, I always have this thing when something bad happens to me. My wife laughs at me all the time. I go, this is it. He caught me finally. And this story so shows us that not every pit is a bad thing. In fact, God doesn't look. I don't believe God sends the pit, but he sure knows how to use them. If you let him, he can use your pit moment and refine you and redefine you and redeem you into something that God originally intended. Did he send it? No. But if you would let him, he could use it. And you can't, I think the best thing for us as Christians, don't assume if you're in a pit right now, if you're going to be in a pit or you were once in a pit, don't assume that was the enemy's plan. Don't assume that was meant to kill you. Don't assume that was the thing that was going to take you out. It was actually probably the thing that was going to save you. I can look back on tons of my pit moments in my life and see the hand of God. Can't you? You can't see it when you're in the pit. You just can't. It's too dark. Pits are dark, right? You can't see God in there. But when you get out, you're like, man, God worked me in there. God, God made me the reason I am, the way that I am, the faith that I have. The only reason I'm standing right now is because of that pit. Actually, I hated the pit when I was in it, but I'm so grateful for that pit. You ever talk to people like that? When you're like, how did you ever get through that? That sounds awful. And they're like, well, you know, it was rough, but we're grateful for it. You're like, what? It's because they saw it and see it. Right. I think we as Christians on a whole have an unbiblical theology on pain. And, and I, I'll be honest with you, like, I hate pain. Like, I'm an Enneagram 7. I run from it. I hate pain. Like, I hate it. I love the lazy boy life. Pain after, it's terrible. Terrible. In every way. But if you're like that, you better be careful. Because God uses pain. And here's the funny thing about life. If you're a parent in here, I'm going to do you one better. If you're a mom in here, you know all pain is not bad. 
Come on, moms. Come on, moms. Those of you who just had kids. We had like a baby explosion in our church. I'm like, a baby's everywhere. I'm like, this is amazing. Our church has grown by 10 people. Yes. But if you have a baby, that don't come without pain. You've been to the gym recently? You trying to work out? Trying to look good? Live that six-pack life? Do that without pain. Hello? Do anything in life worth doing. And don't tell me it doesn't cost you something. And when we're in the pit moments, when we're in these times where we're like, when it's dark, isn't it so easy to question the favor and grace of God? You question whether he loves you, whether he's here for you, whether he even exists. It's amazing how much you think God is alive and real and amazing and favorable when you're on the mountain. But you don't even have to be in the valley to question God. At least I don't. I got to be on the downslope of the mountain a little bit and be like, God, you're gone. No one cares. You don't care. She don't care. Neighbor don't care. Chick-fil-A don't care. Nobody cares. You just blame everybody. It's like, wait a minute. If God was, if it, just so you know, if God was good before the pit, he's good in the pit. I remember when I, we were planting our church, when I first moved here, and, um, like, I remember thinking, like, so I, I, when I was 12, I was given a prophecy that I was going to plant a church. I said, you're going to plant a life-giving church, and it's going to change a lot of people's lives. So I heard from a man, a pastor of my life. So I didn't get to plant my church until 35 so 23 years-ish of uh, believing God, letting that dream just marinate, and then just, we about to bring it out. It's going to come forth. And I'm on the precipice. We moved to San Antonio. We're on the precipice of planting our church. I remember driving in. We were in a minivan at the time, which you know, is what it is. We were driving the minivan, living the minivan life. Drive the minivan up onto the, put it in park. And I, I, I can't explain it. Other than I felt an unreal heaviness come over my life. And for six months, I sat in a clinical depression. I was in bed, couldn't get out of bed. Like when people used to say stuff like that, I didn't know what they were talking about. I had never had a bad day in my life. I had never had a sad day in my life. I'm like, I don't know what y'all are saying. I have the joy of the Lord. You walk around, I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? I was like, that's my theme song. Life is good. And when you can't talk to people because you're afraid of them, I had to plant a church when I was afraid of you. I knew no one when I moved to San Antonio. My wife and I walked around. You, it's the eeriest thing. I have so much respect for our military because when families have to move from one city to another and start their lives over every two to four years, are you kidding me? I had to do that one time. It almost killed me. 
And some of y'all are doing it multiple times over long periods of decades, over decades. Y'all know how hard that is. And we get into the city and I'm in depressed mode. I'm like, I'm not, it's not a funny thing. I'm in like clinically diagnosed depression. I'm a pastor still. I love the Lord still. We weren't struggling in our marriage. We weren't struggling in our finances. There was no reason for me to be in that pit. And then I had to go talk to people and say, do you want to join a church? Which one? Where's it at? I don't know. But it's going to be here someday. Promise. Trust me. Promise. Promise. Trump, promise. 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 And then I would go home and just sob. Uh, when you're in the lowest part of your life, I, I think the tendency is to um, is to see it. as the thing that was going to ultimately take you out in the first place. And I had begged God to take it from me. I had I'd asked him. I had fasted. I prayed. I had asked the Holy Spirit. I, I had said, why would you do this to me? I'm trying to plant your church. And I think... At the same time, my dream was unfolding, so was my nightmare. And I remember asking God, God, what's the purpose of all this? And I remember him telling me this. He said, the purpose of the pit is to get you in a place that you're so far down, you can't get yourself out of it. Because I felt like I couldn't muscle my way. I couldn't pray my way. I couldn't. Does, is this resonate with anybody in here? Like, do you, like, when you feel like, when you feel like you did everything right, you're doing everything right, and you can't get out. You know what the purpose of the time is? It's for you to utter these words. You are God. I'm not. And I need you. Because if you don't need God, you don't need God. And you and I live in a world where we're so blessed. We don't even, we, we lack the need for needs. You know, you know what I'm saying? Went to the Dominican Republic a few weeks ago, or maybe a couple months ago. And, and like, there's real need in, like, the villages in the Dominican Republic. Like, they have to believe God for their next meal. I have never had to do that in my entire life. Are y'all hearing what I'm saying? They live that way their whole lives. So there's a muscle that only gets worked when you gotta work it. And so God was good enough. You know what I look back on that time now? God, thank you. You were good enough to let me work out my faith in you. You didn't just magically move me out of it. 
I had to really believe that you were really who you said you were. And my perspective has to be right in that moment because if I don't see it that way, I won't get out of it. Number two is this. Number two is this. So you got to have a proper pit perspective. Second one is this. You got to take personal responsibility for the pit. Now, last service, no one amen this part. And I'm okay with that. I will amen myself. Here's why. This is going to determine how you got in. It'll help you determine how you got in and how long you'll stay. I'm just telling you, you're not going to like it, but this is good medicine. Good medicine. It's good. I'm putting the Robitussin. It's coming in. Because regardless of how you got in the pit, I dare to say you still play a part in it. And the people who, who take accountability, who are able to reveal their issues to God. You know what really taking responsibility is? It's, it's revealing your issues to people in God. You know that, right? Like when I take a responsibility, if I did something wrong, let's say, you know, I, I, uh, we were driving out here and I hit you with my car, okay? If I got out and I, I, I take personal responsibility, I'm admitting, come on, I'm admitting where I'm wrong and where I'm insufficient, okay? I'm, I'm, I'm admitting it because I want to take accountability for what I did wrong in the current situation. And when I do that and I reveal it, there's freedom in it. In fact, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 28, it says people who conceal their sins will not prosper. But if they confess and turn from them, they will receive mercy. Successful people know how to identify the problem and find the root of it because they expose it too much. They're like, nope, here's where I was wrong. Here was, I, oh no, I'm, I, man, I could have done that better. And you're like, no, I'm in the pit and I did everything right. Let's just assume you did. Which I would argue against, but let's just, I'll give you the benefit of that. Let's say you did everything right. There's no reason you're in what you're in. You can still take responsibility for how long you stay there. There's something that you play in that issue. Because Galatians is not wrong. It says, whatever man sows, whatever man reap, he reaps what he sows. Whatever man sows, he reaps. It, it works in tandem. That if I plant a seed of bad decisions, I will produce a seed of bad outcomes. And so we live in a world where there's a lot of blame shifting going on. No one's right. You ever notice how no one's wrong? No one's ever wrong. I've social media, no one's wrong. They're wrong. They're wrong. Well, who's they, pastor? Yeah, exactly. There, they, the other one, the other political party, the other friend, the other family, the other football team. It's not Dallas's problem. I'm just kidding. The other, the other, the other, the other play. It's the, it's the other. It's the other. And we love the blame shift, and we're really good at it. It's like I didn't do anything wrong. You did something wrong. And in a world of blame shifting, it gets so easy to settle on the. Well, yeah, I mean, I didn't really do anything bad. I mean, I punched him in the face, but he didn't have to punch me back, you know? It's not my fault. We got to get better at taking responsibility. Healing comes through taking responsibility. Redemption comes through taking responsibility. 
Freedom comes from taking responsibility. Restoration comes from taking responsibility. Everything you want on your other side of the problem that you're looking at right now, all that freedom that you want out of the pit comes after taking responsibility. I have uh, many friends and family members who've gone through AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, and uh, this amazing program. By the way, it's a, it was started as a Bible. It started as a Christian thing. Y'all know that, right? Just so y'all know. And so it, it has roots in godliness. And part of the process, part of the process, one of the key themes in the steps process is taking responsibility for you putting yourself there. In fact, I read it off of their, their material. It said, making self-examination a daily practice can help you complete and continue the ideas behind these steps. Admitting your wrongs is an ongoing practice that may help you maintain and remain humble and open to the recovery process. That every one of us, I'm like, that's a good idea. You know where they got that? The Bible. That you gotta learn to be humble and have humility to go, wow, I did something wrong in this situation. I gotta take responsibility so that I can understand how I got in here and understand how I can get out. Because I play a part in every pit that I'm in, in my life. I remember I was a teenager when I first met my wife. I met my wife when I was 15 years old. Loved this girl. She walked in the church I'm like, it's like 50 years. I was, there was 50 people in our church. I had dated all the teenage girls in our church 18 times over. She walks in, Mexican dynamite. I'm like, boom. So I, hey, girl. So we started dating. And I date her and I break up with her. And then I date her and then I break up with her. And then I date her and then I break up with her. And then I date her and then I break up with her. You think I'm joking. And then I date her and then I break up with her. And then about six more times past that, I broke up with her and dated her no less than 12 times. She'll tell you, I'm not lying. I'm not exaggerating. Like, you exaggerate your stories a little bit, No, that's real. That number's real. At least 12 times. And so we get kind of towards the end of our high school careers and she's moving back to Seattle and I'm moving to California. And so I go to her house to say goodbye to her family, say goodbye to her, you know, her brother and her sisters and her mom and dad. I don't really care about any of them. I come back and say bye to her. And so I'm going back to say her. And so I'm sitting in their couch and I'm waiting. 30 minutes goes by. She's in the room. Doesn't come out. 40 minutes go by in the room. Doesn't come out. 50 minutes come by, in the room coming out. Hour, hour 10, hour 15, hour 30. She finally walks out of the room holding the hand of another dude. And I was like, and you know, in those moments, there's not a lot you can do. Because I was like, I don't know, you guys ever have BC moments flash into your head? BC, you all know what BC is? Like before Christ version of you? Because in my mind, in my dream state, just hauling off and socking the dude. I'm like, I could take him, little. But I didn't. Be proud of your pastor. I chilled. She walked by and I stood up. I'll never forget that. I stood up. A little taller because the guy. And I said, hey, Erica, hey, bye, Erica, hey, Erica, bye, Erica. 
Hey, Erica, bye. Eric, door closed. <laughs> and what was funny is like her sisters and mom and dad were like, They're like, mojito, come here, let's eat some food. Like, you know, it's like, it's all, it's like everything's fixed by Mexican families just eating, eating things. Just said, tortilla, we'll go get the chips. I'm like, all right. And, uh, and uh, my heart was broken, and I didn't get over it. Like, I, I, held a, I held a grudge. I even held a grudge through getting married to her. Oh, you walked out on me with that other dude, and he ain't even got you. Put a ring on it. I got you, girl. Where's he at now? Probably in jail. You know what I mean? You say stuff, you know? You make up stuff, right? You're like, the worst you can think of, probably in jail somewhere. Um, what was I saying? i tell you that story. Oh, yeah. So I was having counseling with my wife. And we were like, I brought it up one time, just out of nowhere. Like, my wife and I, we, we, we are passionate people. Because we're, you know, we're Latinos. We got some fire in us. Sometimes we just fight, just be, we're bored. So it's like, we just fight. <laughs> so we were mad about something. And uh, I called my, call my counselor and then, I asked him, I was like, we were, we were video chatting on it, and I brought it up. And she goes, she goes, you going to tell him about that time? I said, let's talk about it. So I picked it up. I said, you remember that one time, babe, when you just walked by me, and I did all I could. I left my house, my family, I was about to leave, and you'll be the last person I was going to see. And I had a lot to do that day, and I went over to your house, and I waited all this time, and you just walked out on me. I was like, that was so mean. And my counselor said, um, can I just say something? And I was like, what? And he goes, she wasn't being mean. She was being smart. I go, what are you talking about? He goes, Dude, you broke up with her like 85 times. She should have walked out on you and said bye as she walked out. He said, you reap what you sow. How are you going to treat her like she's a throwaway for four years and then her to stick around and keep dealing with that. She was being smart. You felt what you felt because of what you did. And some of you are in a friendship pit right now. You're like, I had no friends, no friends. Nobody want to be my friend. I can't have no friends. Nobody wants to be my friend. I walk around all the time. I'm trying to be friendly, and nobody wants to be my friend. Okay, well, maybe there's some reasons nobody wants to be your friend. Maybe you're the guy who always shows up to the dinner and disappears right when the check shows up. Maybe you're the person who never calls nobody but always wants to be called. Maybe you're the person who doesn't really care about others but loves to post about how they care about others. Maybe you're the person who's not a good friend, is what I'm saying. And you're in the pit, and if you would, and you just say stuff like, everyone's mean. Not everybody's mean. You're a terrible friend. And you're in that pit, 
Because you're a terrible friend. No amens to that. Okay, let's try another one. Marriage pit. And you're like, you say stuff like I said. If she would just, we're in this place because, and I'm telling you, I see vision, like a vision, vision from the Lord. If she would just do this, then I would do this. Then she would do this and this and this and this, and we'd be dancing, and it'd be good. The problem is, I shared that, I shared that theory with my pastor one time. I called him because he, my wife and I, again, we're, we like it. We love each other. But sometimes we got to work out exactly how we're going to do that. <laughs> and so one time I'm like, I'm going to call pastor if you don't calm down. She goes, call him. You want the number? And I was like, that didn't work out the way I thought it would. You know what I'm saying? You ever try stuff to like strong arm your wife or your husband? You're like, you better stop. You better stop. Or I'm going to do this. And they're like, do it. I'm like, shoot. You know, like, what do you say now? And so now I either got to call my pastor or not call and look like a punk. And I ain't no punk, so I'm going to call my pastor. So I called mom and said, Pastor, let me tell you what happened. I laid it all out. And she goes, you can tell him whatever you want. I'm like, all right. So I lay it out. I said, if she would just do this, I would do that. And he goes, okay, can I just ask you a question? Uh, he said, yeah. I said, he said, well, let me tell you something first. I said, okay. I'm all ears, pastor. You hear from the Lordest, shareth your wisdometh with me. He goes, uh, like, you ain't gonna control that woman. And I was like, yes, I am. I'm, try I'm trying really hard. It's gonna work one day. He goes, you ain't gonna control that woman. He said, you can't even control you. And I was like, Thank you for that. I'll call you back, okay? <laughs> what was he saying? He says, you control you. You control you before you try to control her. Best advice I ever got from my, my pastor on marriage. This is for free. I didn't put this in the first sermon. He said, um, if your wife is doing something wrong, um, then give the Lord only one person to correct. Some of you missed that. If, if your husband is messing, if he's not doing the right thing, if he's treating you wrong, then you better make sure that the Holy Spirit only has one person in the relationship to correct. You don't respond. You don't react. Come on. That's better than you, you even. You're going to be driving home being like, that was revelation. <laughs> what part do I play and why I got here? And last one is this and I'm done. You need to have a pit pack ready. You have a pit pack ready. You have a pit pack ready. This is like a survival pack, like a survival pack. You ever see a survival pack when somebody gets lost or like a chaos is going to happen? I'm done. They always have a couple of things in it that are always in every pack. There's a lot of ancillary stuff, but in every pack, there's food, some type of nourishment, and there's some type of communication device to get to the outside world, Right? And you can't prepare for the pit that you're in once you're in it. So you got to have this stuff prepared beforehand. And survival packs are designed to help you survive and escape the pit. So the first thing is food. This is simply a way to nourish yourself. You need to know this. If you are in a pit right now and you are not reading the word of God on a regular basis, you are malnourished. 
Well, I listen to a sermon every once in a while. If you are not reading the Bible on a regular basis for you, not someone reading it for you, for you, you are malnourished. Well, I pray sometimes. If you are not reading the Bible on a regular basis, you are malnourished. Well, I heard about it sometimes. I check out social media and then I watch the YouVersion Bible app daily posts. If you're not reading the Bible on a regular basis, especially while you're in the pit, you are malnourished. We live under the authority of the Word of God. And this is more than just words on a paper. It's life to you. It's life to me. And there are a lot of hangry Christians walking around. Hungry, angry, hangry and you come to church saying stuff like I came to get fed you should have been eating all week long and this is just the cherry on top of your ice cream don't come in here to get fed come in here to feed others because you've already been eating the word of God it's got to be in you it's got to be around you. You got to have it like a snack pack, ready to go. You ever take young kids out shopping? You want me to give you a secret? I got five of them. Give you a secret I learned. You want a secret? Put food everywhere. Put it in your pockets. Put it in the backpack. Put it in your stroller. Put it in your car. Put it in your shoe. Put it in your hat. Put it in your hair. Just put food everywhere. If you keep them fed, they be chilling. You know, I even try, I, I, I even keep food now just in case I see some crazy kids running around and their family's just acting a fool. I'm like, here's a snack pack, homie, go ahead. You see, they just calm down. Holy Spirit just falls all over them <laughs> eating Chips Ahoy. We need to be nourished. We need to be nourished. You signed up to read the Bible, not because it's a legalistic book that you have to walk and figure out all the rules. It's because it's life. It's life. The second one is this. You need a communication device. You need to be able to reach the outside world to your friends. You need some pit pals. You need somebody to get in with you. Help you get out. Talking to someone is critical when you're in the pit. You gotta have somebody with you. You can't, you, you can't, you know what's really hard is to make friends while you're in the pit. So what do I do, pastor? Well, you make friends before you get in it. You show yourself friendly. The only thing, can I just tell you the only reason we have a church? So I had friends who wouldn't let me quit. You know how many times your pastor tried to quit before the church even started? I'm serious. Do you know how many times I called my friends and said, this is it, I'm done. I am officially done. I'm trying to tell you. And they were like, no, you're not done. No, no, you're not hearing me. I've already lined it out. I have it on paper. I'm a list guy. So I want to give you the list of exactly where I'm at and exactly what you're going to do and how it's all going to work out. And they let me get to the end of my soliloquy. And they said, oh, man. Well, no. Thank you, but no, you're not going to give up. We're not going to let you fail. You're going to win. I don't got faith for that right now. That's okay. 
You're going to borrow our faith right now. You can give it back later. And you're going to keep going, and they'd send me a meal for my family. Call another friend. I'm out. They send me a check for $5,000 for the church. Call another friend. I'm out. You know, I, I'm done. I can't handle this. Hey, I want you to fly out here. I want to bless you. I want to love you and love on you and your wife and your kids. We're going to have you come over here. We're going to just love on you. Refresh you, spiritually refresh you. I'm out. I'm going to send your kids stuff right now. What are their names? What are their ages? I'm going to send them all stuff. They're all going to get gifts. I had gifts after gifts. They'll walk around. I'm out. I'm going to call the next friend. I'm out. I can't handle this. I'm going to pray for you every day at this time. You guys should walk up to Pastor Jason, our executive pastor, and go shake his hand if you love this church. Before he even knew he was going to be here, he would wake up every morning, every single morning. I would wake up at 7.30. Couldn't move out of bed. I get a, I got a text message from Pastor Jason. It said, I prayed for you. God told me you were going to make it. And I just wanted you to know I love you. And I'm for you. And then I'm for that church that's inside of your heart that one day is going to bless people. They did that every day. I didn't give up because I was strong. I didn't give up because I had it all worked out or I was a Christian. I didn't give up because I had somebody who was praying for me. I had a pit pal. And so if you're in that place right now, you need to be the person that reaches out of the pit, okay? And then if you're somebody who knows someone that's in that pit right now, you better reach out to them. You don't need to hear from the Lord. He already spoke to you. I already asked him. He said, do it. And you need to reach out to them and you need to buy them a meal. And you need to bless their kids. And you need to take him to coffee or her to coffee and tell him, you're not going to give up. You're not going to fail. You're going to make it. And God has your back. That's what spiritual family does. That's what we're trying to create here at Rise. And my prayer is that you would do some of these steps while you're in the pit. And this is not the comprehensive list. I'm not saying if you do this, it will change everything. But I am saying that hopefully this will help you in getting out of your pit into the promised land. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. I thank you that right now, God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful for the lessons from the pit in my own life. I didn't always do it right. I didn't always do it well. But having perspective coming out of it and being a little bit removed from the last pit, I know a little bit more about how to handle my next pit, the next moment that will inevitably come. Thank you that you don't leave us where we are, and thank you that you don't leave us alone and that we have people to rely on. I, I pray that our church would maybe follow one or two of these steps today and that they would ultimately receive your blessing in Jesus' name.